What's up, Kinfolk? Welcome to the number one ranked show sponsored by DirecTV Stream. I am your host, RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, we have to talk about not one, but two top 10 teams going down to unranked opponents, a Heisman favorite getting the hook, and who is still in the hunt? for the college football playoff. Let's go. It's the number one ranked show. So we got to start with number three, Oklahoma comes back to beat Kansas 35 to 23 in Lawrence, Oklahoma. Hasn't lost to Kansas since I was 13 years old. I am a 34-year-old grown man now. That means the Sooners' 16-game win streak goes back to the year 2000. On top of that, the Sooners won last year's game by 53. But that predated the Lance Leipold era. That's what we readers like to call foreshadowing. Because the OU defense has struggled this season while averaging 42.7 points per game for the offense. Through the first seven of this season, OU allowed 24.9. The OU defense had given up the third most points allowed with 473 of any team in the FBS behind Missouri with 501 in first place and Texas with 498 in the same time span. And OU quarterback Caleb Williams entered the game in rarefied air after his first start against Texas Christian. After completing 18 of 23 with four passing touchdowns and one rush touchdown, he joined Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, and Sam Bradford as the only Sooners to complete 75% of their passes with four passing TDs and a rush TD in their first start. With a start to his career like that, I imagine he told OU fans, my coach didn't come here for riches, but for the power of your people. Desert power. This is only the beginning, said SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. Williams be like, hand me a football and tell me it will be a great honor for me to get sacked seven times and throw six picks. And now I got to take out your mans in front of my mama and your whole clique on some rocks in Arrakis. You did this. But after one quarter and the lights on the scoreboard going out twice, it was 7-0 KU. Kansas rushed for 95 yards in the first quarter. Oklahoma rushed for, got it somewhere, one yard in the first quarter with Oklahoma, like seriously, with Oklahoma having 538 left in the first half, Oklahoma began its third possession and just its ninth offensive play. Like, what are we doing here? Can't get the ball and can't move the ball. Kansas joined Clemson as the only team to shut out Oklahoma in a half in the past seven years. And the first to do that in the Lincoln-Riley era as a coordinator or a head coach. I will remind you now, KU is 1-6. and Kansas held the ball for 20 minutes and 55 seconds of a 30-minute first half. And it's hard to score if you don't have the ball. It's that roll-safe knowledge. At halftime, Kansas put up 195 yards of offense to number 3 Oklahoma's 78. I will remind you. KU is one and six. KU had 13 first downs to OU's four. KU is one and six. Kansas put up 132 rush yards to OU's seven in the half. KU 
is one and six. Oklahoma didn't score until there was 9.15 left in the third quarter, and the Sooners didn't take a lead until there was 13.13 left to play. Oklahoma was a 38-and-a-half-point favorite at kickoff. KU is 1-6. and six. And then, with the game on the line, Oklahoma went for it on 4th and 1 at its own 46-yard line. The play was a handoff to Kennedy Brooks, who looked like he was stopped in the backfield after a bit of forward progress when Caleb Williams stripped his own running back to take it forward for the first down. The play was ruled legal and a legal lateral because the handoff took place behind the line of scrimmage, as did the lateral. Lincoln Riley was asked if that was the kind of play that they actually practiced. I mean, it's something we, we talk about a lot. Um, when you get in, we call them got to have it situations. And those are where, you know, you're, you're going for it. And we try to really be specific and identify for our guys when those situations are. You're going for it. And there's really nothing to lose at that point. And so we've, we've talked about those things. Do we practice, you know, a guy, you know, flicking a ball back or pulling out of hands. I, I didn't have a great view of exactly how much Kennedy gave it or Caleb just pulled it out or I, but we do talk about it. Have we practiced that one? No, you got to give those two kids a bunch of credit Kennedy for realizing, I mean, cause Kennedy doesn't obviously, as we know, doesn't fumble the ball much. So I think Kennedy realized what Caleb was trying to do they both understood the situation and it was worth the chance. Like even if, even if Caleb would have gotten tackled, uh, it would have been, you know, obviously worth the chance to do it. And so it's, it's smart football. And, um, I, I, don't, I don't want to take credit for it, though. Those, those guys made that play in a big moment. Now, check this out, man. Kayla Williams had not one, but three wild plays in this KU game that started off terribly for Oklahoma. The first one was, my man is rolling to his right with all sorts of time, and he's got Kennedy Brooks out in the flat, and he's got room to run. And yet he decides he's going to underthrow this pass to a Kansas defender who picks it off. And I'm going, yo, man, hey, look, I don't want y'all to start yelling for Spencer Rattler the way y'all was yelling for Caleb Williams. I need y'all to cape for the man with the cape that is Superman. And then my man had the ball on fourth and three and took off running on a play that Lincoln Riley said, look, we just had to go get six. I felt like with the play of the game, and giving the ball back to Kansas, we weren't going to have many opportunities. And then they go up in a crucial way, right? But for me, it's still that hook and ladder that he did for himself. Like, it's almost as if somebody handed him the Chris knife and said, hey, look, you the man that we've been waiting on. Maybe that is the case because Oklahoma is 8-0 for the first time since 2004. Now, Oklahoma has been playing to its competition and Kansas is either absolutely playing outstanding football, depending on how you want to look at it. But what I think is most interesting about Oklahoma being 8-0 is just that. In a week where number 14 Coastal Carolina goes down, in a week where number 18 North Carolina State goes down, in a week where number 8 Oklahoma State goes down, in a week where number 7 Penn State goes down, Oklahoma is 8-0 and and still has the privilege of figuring themselves out. As for OU's national title aspirations, win is a gift, not a gift, as the Baron would ask. When you're ranked number four and Georgia is ranked number one, the emperor has sent us here to die. Oklahoma fans are like Ben A. Jesuit acolytes now, staring at this slide 
to where I think is going to be number four, and UGA being there at number one, like, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me, and when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path where the fear has gone. There will be nothing. Only I will remain. Because, you know, Oklahoma's never won a college football playoff. Look, my dune jokes aside, what kind of sport is this when being undefeated doesn't matter? Do we want the sport to be about winning or about our opinions? Because the blind resume test says Cincinnati, Oklahoma, and Wake Forest are all undefeated. Cincy has a top 10 win on the road at Notre Dame, and Oklahoma has a top 25 win at a neutral site against Texas. I think... Teams being ranked at the moment you play against them needs to matter. But even if you don't, arguing that a team who lost is better than a team who did not is irrational. And it means playing football doesn't actually matter to you. But this is why my ranking criteria is as follows. Number one, how many AP Top 25 teams ranked at the time that you played them have teams you are beaten? That's pretty easy, right? Number two, a premium is placed on being undefeated. Power 5 teams more than likely play a tougher schedule than a group of 5 teams. Number 3, being undefeated supersedes strength of schedule with the belief that winning every game is more difficult than losing a game to a good football team. Number 4, results, resume, and winning matter. When two teams have identical resumes, that's when the eye test becomes necessary. Remember that when you see my rankings tomorrow on FoxSports.com. And for Oklahoma in particular, it's worth asking if Lincoln Riley has figured out Oklahoma's personality and what needs to change for this 8-0 team to begin putting away opponents without my blood pressure rising. Again, it's, it's for this team, we've kind of figured out our personality a little bit. I mean, our personality is we, we, we could finish with the best of them, but it's, it's, frustrating for us of how much we put ourselves I think in position you know especially not playing our best uh, early in games where we you know where we have to finish um, and we, we have to finish all the time but where we need to finish well to, to win games so uh, we're going to keep battling with it I, I think our you know we had a, a good visit in there right after the game I think our guys you know, know what we need to do but it's time for us to start you know closing the gaps and, and playing a little bit better here and, uh, and more consistently so uh, that's, I mean, that is what it is. I mean, I think we're, you know, we're, we're still a very capable football team. There's no question. We'll be excited to, to have a chance to, to, to get some, get some guys back. And I think that that's got to be our spark right here is a combination of, of getting some of these guys back. We were obviously pretty thin in a lot of areas today. We've got to get guys back. Um, the guys that are playing have got to play at a high level. We've got to coach at a high level. Um, our, Times when we're not playing well, it's close, but we're tired of being close. We got to push it over the edge, and this is obviously we're getting here, you know, back half the season. This is the time we got to do it. So, uh, again, uh, proud of the win. Don't take them for granted. No, we have to do a lot better. So Oklahoma is still squarely in the college football playoff race. Now we got to talk about a team that is not. Illinois beat number seven Penn State twenty to eighteen in nine overtimes. Why nine overtimes? Because under the new overtime rules, teams alternate two-point conversions after three OTs, and neither one of these teams could score. 
Before this afternoon, Penn State had beaten Illinois three times in a row by scores of 39, 39, and 35-point margins. Check this out. Along with Ohio State, the Nittany Lions are the only team to whoop Illinois by 35 or more in three straight games ever. But this game was 10-10 to at the end of regulation. The Illini were a 25-and-a-half-point underdog on the road at kickoff. Illinois was coming off of a really weird loss to Wisconsin where the Illini scored zero points, committed zero turnovers, and committed zero penalties. They're the only FBS team in 25 years to put up goose eggs in all three categories, and it wasn't like you to get any better than that for the former, quite honestly. Penn State hadn't allowed more than 25 points scored in their last 10 games. That's the third longest active streak behind Georgia with 11, and on really the only team that the Nittany Lions have lost to this season, Iowa, up till this point. And then Penn State still hasn't given up more than, you know, 25 in 11 games because uh, 20 to 18. However, this is the Illini's first win against a top 10 opponent since it knocked off the Ohio State Buckeyes in 2007. Illinois beat number seven Penn State with Illini quarterback Art Sikowski completing, I kid you not, eight of 19 for 38 yards with a pick. Good Lord. However, Illinois running back Chase Brown notched 32 carries for 223 rush yards with a TD, and Josh McCray added 142 rush yards on 24 carries, means 363 of Illinois' 401 total yards were on the ground, and the Penn State defense is going to very much dislike film study tomorrow, especially since Illinois turned the ball over three times and the Nittany Lions didn't turn it over at all. Meanwhile, the Illini defense might well bronze this box score. With Sean Clifford back at QB, Illinois held Penn State to 237 total yards and just 165 passing yards. On both sides of the ball, Illinois was the epitome of complimentary football. They ran the ball well to keep Penn State off the field and... The defense was great about getting the Penn State offense off the field and holding the Nittany Lions to just 3 of 16 on third down while earning the game-winning interception. What this game means is Penn State became the only team kicked out of the college football playoff this week. No one is getting in this year with two losses. Iowa State defeated number 8 Oklahoma State 24-21 to the Pokes were off to their best start in six years, and OSU coach Mike Gundy was rewarded with a rolling five-year contract that looked a lot like, you know, the contract he had before. But all six of OSU's wins had come by 11 points or fewer, and this game was tied all the way, too. AP voters and college football fans alike began the game thinking the Pokes were more fraudulent than a fella passing Parker Brothers Monopoly money at the quick trip, and so did Vegas, who made unranked Iowa State a seven-point favorite against a top-ten team. I've never seen that before in my life. We thought this game would be in the hands of two-star running backs, though. Jalen Warren walked into Jack Trice, averaging 164.8 rush yards over the last four games, and Brees Hall is the first unanimous All-American in ISU history. Warren has already rushed for 705 yards as a back in Stillwater after rushing for 821 in two years at Utah State at kickoff. And Hall led the FBS in rushing TDs, rushing yards dating back to last year at kickoff, and he still adds at the end of regulation. However, Warren was held to 76 yards on 18 attempts, and Hall was held to just 70 on 21. The game came down to Spencer Sanders tossing a 
wide receiver screen to Brennan Presley, who was stopped inches short of a fourth and two. Iowa State, though unranked and favored to win this game by Vegas, watch Cyclone fans rush the field on the strength of Brock Purdy's 307 passing yards and Xavier Hutchins' 12 catches for 125 yards with two TDs. And it turns out the game where Sanders played his best game of the season, 15 to 24 for 225 with three TDs, the Pokes catch their first L. Go figure. Number five, Ohio State stomped out Indiana 54 to 7 in Bloomington. Ohio State owns Indiana like a house that been in the family for three generations, quite honestly. The Buckeyes haven't lost to the Hoosiers since I was four years old. That's 1991, making it the longest active streak, 27, for an FBS program against another in the sport. Since losing to Oregon, 35-28 to at home, the Buckeyes have outscored teams by a score of 198 points. Only Georgia can claim more points scored during that time frame with 167, and UGA, of course, is on a bye and the best team in college football. We'll talk about that in a bit. With his receiving TD, though, Chris Olave became just the third Buckeye to catch 30 career touchdowns. He trails David Boston, who was a monster with 34, and tied Devin Smith with 30 for the most in school history. He caught passes from Indiana quarterback Jack Tuttle in high school as well, and they remain close friends. Or at least, I hope they still remain close friends after this shellacking. Tuttle was sacked twice and just 4 of 7 for 41 yards with a TD in the game. Poor Indiana, man. The Hoosiers fell to 0-5 against ranked opponents this season after going 3-1 against ranked opponents in 2020. And yes, of course, their only loss to a ranked opponent, Ohio State. It gets worse. The Hoosiers began the game scoring just 11.3 points per game against ranked teams this season and scored just seven tonight, while C.J. Stroud hit 21 of 28 passes for 266 yards with four TDs, and Travion Henderson rushed nine times for 81 yards with two TDs. Henderson leads the FBS in yards per rush with nearly 8.8 per carry. With 5.45 left in the first half, number five Ohio State had already scored more points against Indiana, 37, than number three Oklahoma did against Kansas, with 35, and number two Cincinnati scored against Navy with 27 in full games. The Buckeyes had six offensive possessions in the first half and scored on every single one of them. Look, I would really like to see Ohio State's offense against Georgia's defense, and I'm ducking because that's a double entendre, and it's funny. At least check this out. You lost to Oregon. Okay, Ohio State? But the rankings will work themselves out. Even my rankings will work themselves out. Heck, UO looked like losing to a UCLA team we're going to talk about here in a bit. And that same UCLA team lost to Fresno State. And that same Fresno State team lost to Hawaii, who is playing New Mexico State right now. But now, I've got Ohio State fans popping off in my mansions talking about Georgia ain't the number one team in the country. I'm sorry, what? Georgia, you've got a little bit of experience with this, though. So I'm asking y'all, please, stop the steal. All right, number six, Michigan ran over Northwestern 33-7 at the Big House. The Wolverines hadn't lost to Northwestern since 2008 and have won 12 of the last 13 games against the Wildcats. 
Michigan is one of just four programs with two players with at least eight rush TDs apiece in running backs Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum. After beginning the game scoreless until the second quarter and leading just 10-7 at half, Michigan outscored Northwestern 17-0 in the third quarter to go up 27-7 after three. Wolverines quarterback Cade McNamara completed 20 of 27 for just 129, but the firm of Haskins and Corum combined for 229 rush yards and four TDs on 42 carries. Both tailbacks went over 100 rush yards in the game, while the Michigan defense held Northwestern's Ryan Helensky to just 14 of 29 completions for 114 pass yards. The Michigan defense held Northwestern to 233 total yards and just 4 of 14 on third down. The Wolverines are 7-0, heading into their top 10 matchup for the Michigan State Championship against the Michigan State Spartans. With Penn State's loss to Illinois, the winner of that game will be seen as the best challenger to Ohio State for the Big Ten East Division title. I don't need to remind you Jim Harbaugh has never beaten Ohio State as Michigan head coach, but first, he and his team have to get past Mel Tucker and Heisman candidate Kenneth Walker III in what should be an outstanding game next week at noon on Big Fox. Number 10, Oregon survived a late comeback attempt by UCLA, 34-31 in Pasadena. The Bruins began the day looking to get four wins in their first five games of conference play for the first time since 2007, and after vaulting out front in what, you know, wasn't to be expected to be an upset, really, that's what it looked like. The Bruins came close, man. They, UCLA led 17-14 at half, but trailed by three when UCLA back up. Ethan Garbers came in to relieve Dorian Thompson-Robinson late and threw a pick to DJ James, who sealed the win for Oregon. Oregon's win means they're still in the playoff conversation. In fact, only Penn State was knocked out today. The selection committee would have to consider, though, Oregon's head-to-head -head this season if Ohio State runs the table and both are on the bubble. Can't wait to see what they would figure out there. The Ducks have Colorado at Washington, Washington State at Utah, Oregon State to finish the season before perhaps playing in the Pac-12 title game. Means they're not likely to play a ranked opponent during that time. With Wake Forest and Oklahoma still undefeated, though, UO is on the outside looking in, not to mention Cincinnati's the number two team in the country, according to the AP. But we have no evidence to show the selection committee values Cincy that highly and would be breaking precedent to rank Cincy in the top four come November 2nd. A lot of moving and shaking left. Number 16, Wake Forest, bested Army 70 to 56. Wake Forest began the game 9-1 against Army, dating back to 1990. That's the best record of any team who has played the Black Knights at least 10 times. Army, though, is now 0-37 against ranked teams over the last 41 years. It's a yikes for me, dog. And the Demon Deacons, they're scoring. They've scored at least 35 in every one of their six, excuse me, seven games. And they're the only ACC team to begin the season that way since 2013 Florida State, who performed the feat 13 consecutive times and, of course, won the national title. Now, Wake Forest is 7-0 for the first time since 1944. That is World War II right there. And the 70 it put up are the third most points the Demon Deacons have scored in school history and the most it has scored since 1940. 
Wake QB Sam Hartman hit 23 of 29 attempts for 458 pass yards with six total TDs. Hartman was responsible for 36 points in a game that began with an over-under set at 53 and hit 126. This game also featured a 48-second stretch where teams scored a combined three TDs. Add to this, just before kickoff, the show, of this show, excuse me, unranked Miami knocked off number 18 North Carolina State 31-30. So Wake Forest is in the driver's seat to win the Atlantic. But is Wake Forest a playoff team? It's an interesting thought, and we're going to get to unpack it. Number 20, number 23, Pittsburgh, beat Clemson 27-17 in Pittsburgh. Whether or not the Demon Deacons are on a path to the playoff, they're certainly likely on a collision course with Pittsburgh in the ACC title. Now, I think what's really interesting about what Pittsburgh was able to perform is that they were able to do it against a Clemson team that normally gives them all sorts of problems, right? We're talking about a Pittsburgh team that has played Clemson four times since 1977, but since 2015, we have Pittsburgh winning two of those games, right? Meanwhile, Pittsburgh is off to their best start since, well, 2015. So I'm really interested to see how this ends for the Panthers, who are very much running the Coastal, and I expect Pat Narduzzi and Kenny Pickett and Jordan Addison to be in a position to not just challenge a good Wake Forest team, but perhaps win the ACC championship and get a bid to a New Year's Six Bowl. And if you haven't had Kenny Pickett, who passed for 302 yards against a Brent Venables defense, you know, on your draft board, along with a Jordan Addison, who left the game under concussion protocol but still had five catches for 84 yards, I got to ask, man, what are we actually doing here if we're not paying attention to what these guys are doing? Speaking of paying attention to what these guys are doing, we got to talk a little bit about DJ Uyunglele. He got the hook in the third quarter after what was one of the most egregious shovel passes that I have ever seen. And he wasn't particularly good throughout the day, but he hasn't been particularly good throughout the season. This is a guy who started off as a Heisman candidate. Remember, at the start of the season, we didn't know much about Kenneth Walker III being a Heisman candidate. We certainly weren't talking about anybody other than perhaps Kayvon Thibodeau, who wasn't a quarterback. Now it feels like it could be a running back's award with Travion Henderson coming on strong. But one of the things that I want you to take into consideration is Sam Howell, DJ Uyunglele, JT Daniels, Spencer Rattler, and Stroud were all the guys that we thought might win the Heisman. Only Stroud and Sam Howell haven't got the hook, really. And depending on how you want to view C.J. Stroud sitting against Akron, you can make that argument for him if you are so inclined. But I think we need to take a hard look at DJ Uwe Ungulale and perhaps missed on it, right? Because I thought he played really well against Notre Dame last year and played really well in a comeback win against Boston College. And I thought that he has more talent than even Trevor Lawrence did. But he is not living up to that billing. And anytime you get the hook, it's not a good look. All right. We'll talk a little bit more about that Clemson game a little bit later on. But I also want to talk about Dabo Sweeney and how he seems to be being treated right now by Clemson fans. I'd say, man, there's this really attractive job at LSU that's open right now. And perhaps you might want to take a look at how you're treating the man so that he doesn't necessarily take off and leave. Because unlike many places, LSU's got enough money to pay him what he is owed and to give him the sign of support that, quite honestly, a coach of his caliber should receive. Now, he's got a really great situation in Clemson, and 
I don't know that he is even really thinking about it. I know what he said, right? He's, he's going to be at Clemson. He's going to be at Clemson for a long time, but he wouldn't be the first head coach to say that. What I am saying is perhaps you want to treat the dude right and you want to remind him how much you love him at a time when USC and LSU both got open jobs, all right? So as we move past the ACC and we get into a little bit deeper conversation about what the college football playoff is going to do and what it means, I think it's important that we also talk a little recruiting. In that way, number 12, Ole Miss beat LSU 31-17, to right? LSU had a lame duck head coach in Ed Orgeron and is a program in flux as first-year coordinators Durante Jones and Jake Peets might be out of jobs at the year's end, but still, Ole Miss gets a 31-17 win, and we're still trying to figure out what exactly they're going to be doing at LSU and as far as head coach, but I thought it was cool to see Matt Corral come out to play after Lane Kiffin was very loud about, I don't know if he's going to be able to get this done come Saturday, and he got out there, and he 100% got it done, but Let's talk about what we really want to talk about with Ole Miss LSU, and that is Arch Manning was on site, all right? So it's not just that Arch Manning was on site. It's that this is the time when they decided they were going to retire Uncle Eli's jersey as well. Everybody is not just getting this dude on campus for official visits. They're getting him on campus for official visits and making these events. You'll remember Georgia showed out for Arch Manning, all right? Like, they're number one team in the country. They're trying to win a national championship. No, we want the number one 2023 overall player to come play his football at Georgia. And why not? Because Arch Manning is one of those can't-miss prospects in the way that people were talking about Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and the like. But I want to take this time to enlighten some of you who might not necessarily know just what it is to have an Arch Manning on campus and what this man is measuring up to be. So, still through three things you need to know about Arch Manning. Number one, he is the number one player in the class of 2023. He is six foot four. He is 225 pounds, and he's only a junior. He's completed 66% of his passes for 1,188 yards with 16 TDs, leading the Greenies to a four and one record so far this season. In his three-year career in New Orleans. He has scored 91 TDs running and throwing and thrown just 15 interceptions, right? So that's his bio. What are people saying about him, particularly his famous uncles? Well, Uncle Peyton refuses to give a public evaluation of his nephew or any high school quarterback for that matter at all. He prefers to let the boys play, but he's also offered up, you know, some advice about having fun and being in high school, but When we get a major college football coach to go anonymous to ESPN, he says he looks a lot like his two uncles, at least when they were coming out of high school, and probably has an even better arm strength. He's definitely a more mobile and, well, he's always been more accurate. I don't know about that. The comparisons aren't fair, though, to Peyton and Eli, but I also think that doesn't really phase him, which is kind of great. Granddad Archie wants everyone to know, though, that Arch didn't ask for this. He said, I don't worry about Arch, but I don't want people to expect too much. He's getting attention. He's not asking for that. But I guess that comes with it. The only thing I'd ever tell Arch is have fun. All right, I can live with that. 
Number two, Cincy defeated Navy 27-20 in Annapolis. Cincy is 7-0. and And, man, they're off to one of their best starts ever. But this time, they've got the AP's respect with its highest ranking in school history at number two. In those six games prior to today's against Navy, they'd beaten teams like they stole something, right? It's their largest point total since 2007. And last week, Jerome Ford became the first player in FBS to rush for a total of at least 300 yards with six total TDs in back-to-back games this season. Against Navy, he had 15 carries for 90 rush yards with a TD against the midshipmen. The Bearcats are at Tulane next week. They get Tulsa, or in their next game, not next week. They get Tulsa at home. They get South Florida before playing what I hope is a showdown for conference and G5 supremacy with Southern Methodist, a team that is absolutely rolling with Tanner Mordecai at quarterback, Grant Calcaterra, out in patterns. SMU has scored at least 31 in every game it has played and at least 40 in four of their seven wins this season. Of course, they are 7-0, and and it's not even November yet. Look at what we have said. College football, you're irrational. You're absurd. But you are never boring. And we love you most. That's our show for tonight. The number one ranked show is hosted by me, RJ Young. Thank you to our sponsor, Direct TV Stream. Our lead producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is John Marcus. That is Niles on the stream that switches. Social media manager for us is Javion Duncan. Our man, uh, excuse me, our lead of screening is Rachel Cohn, who is definitely a woman. And our executive producer is Kristen Hurley. He, that is it for me. Deuces.